Well, the boss called me up and said, come in to work. I just hung up on that slave-driving jerk. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. Well, you'd think I'd rather be sweating on a dock or watching somebody use a hammerlock. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Welcome to the Total B She Show. We got quite a treat this week. Uh, we're going to go over episode seven of Heels, and we're bringing on Scott Mason yeah. from Play Like a Jet podcast, who is a WFX fan, which puts him in amazing <laughs> standing with me for sure. Um, and we're going to have some fun with that, I hope. And we're going to talk about, we're going to answer some fan questions because we missed it last week, but uh, that happens. That happens. And, you know, people are still. Still talking about Wayne Stanton on episode yeah. six and Bobby J. He, you know, dispelled some myths and confirmed some r- rumors and all that good stuff. Chris, how are you did, doing today? You know, character builder or producer, Chris? Which one are you it's today? It's a, a character building day. Absolutely. I am character builder, Chris. It, it was a day and that's all I'm going to say about it. It was a day. However, when you came here, your, your mood is infectious because you're super excited about our guest. I could tell right away you were like, you were just dancing on the wind. It wasn't like last week. Last week you came in and you were literally growling for, yeah. for real. You were upset. You were red in the face. The moment you walked in the studio, I was like, oh, this is a different mic. This week, it was jovial mic. It was bouncy mic. It was even a little boardy mic, a little boardy humor mic. There are things that are bothering me in the world today. I know there are things that are bothering you in the world. And, and one of them that's bothering me right now is unprofessionalism in pro wrestling. And I'm talking, of course, we know that there's unprofessionalism in the indie locker rooms. It happens. But at the highest level, we're seeing a lot of unprofessionalism in wrestling. I know what you're getting at. And I'm dancing around it because I know you don't want to use it. Yeah, because we don't talk about mainstream wrestling. But I said today we're going to break it. We're going to break that rule because it was wrong. Yeah. And we're talking about Tony Khan the son of a billionaire and Eric Bischoff and anybody who knows me knows I've, I really respect and I like Eric Bischoff and I respect and I like Jim Cornette and I respect and I like a lot of those types of people who were extremely important in making wrestling so good in the nineties. Yeah. Now, before I go off on this, let me tell you what I believe. I believe this is an angle. I believe Tony Khan and Eric Bischoff are in cahoots together for what will climax into a face-to-face promo at StarCast. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm right. We're going to find out. But if I'm right, great. They still did it wrong. And if I'm wrong, Tony Khan has come across like a billionaire baby and a total mark. Now, wrestling fans all over the world... Oh, Tony Khan something. When the business had only one major company, Tony Khan took his dad's money and created a second one. Yep. Great. We will always be indebted to you. But let me tell you something. Your time as the darling of independent wrestling fans or, or wrestling fans who wanted an alternative will come to an end with stunts like this. What I'm talking about is after the last pay-per-view for AEW, they did the media scrum. And Eric Bischoff has been pretty critical of CM Punk and AEW, and he has reason to be. Let me be very honest with you. 
All Elite Wrestling is the only option for lapsed wrestling fans. I'm a lapsed wrestling fan, and I do I do follow AEW to a degree. My friend Adam West, he is a lapsed wrestling fan, and yep. he watches All Elite. You are a lapsed wrestling fan, 100%. producer Chris, and you watch AEW. I do. And same with so many other people. So we like and respect and appreciate AEW. We don't have to like, respect, or appreciate the owner who should not write himself into anything that looks like a character of wrestling. He should be carrying himself like a billionaire businessman who's above the fray. He loves the business, so he wants to invest in the business. But don't, like he, he, the, he was swearing about, about Bischoff and, and cutting off CM Punk, who people wanted to hear what CM Punk had to say. And it was the Tony Khan show, and it was like, you erratic fool. Well, yeah, and it, and it all came from Eric Bischoff saying that CM Punk is the biggest box office flop of all time, essentially a financial flop. That was in reference to a comment Tony Khan made when he was having a wet dream and saying CM Punk is the biggest thing since NWO. Yeah, and I don't like the, the the comment was really like it should have been something that just slid by Tony Khan. Like that is not a comment. Like think of you if it, you if it was in your position if you were in that position would you even give that comment oxygen yes really that that kind of oxygen well because i would value eric bischoff's opinion no but, and i would value jim cornette's opinion yeah i guess i guess we're, I would ta- tra- we're talking about you yeah. see the problem is for tony khan you have a billion dollars why is eric bischoff not on your, on your payroll as a consultant why is Jim Cornette not on your payroll as a consultant? Jim Cornette I think would have he turned it down. Uh, I think he is, but that, that's a whole other That's a conspiracy theory. But I think, it, I think it's happening. So you think that the naysayers are there to create the controversy to generate the audience Absolutely. for All Elite? Then it's failing because All Elite's only getting a million viewers and nothing is helping it. That, it's true, but maybe, the, maybe. well, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I still think, I think it's true. I, I think Jim Cornette's getting a little bit of green salad on the side. I don't think so because when he talks about like Tony Khan being on Ritalin and stuff, like that or whatever he said like there's kind i there's some things yeah. that sound like a personal attack that i don't know you would i don't know i think it's i think there's a legitimacy there with cornet i think it's a work between bischoff and tony khan but tony is not made to be a character like when he goes out there and makes the announcement that new, new japan and they're breaking the forbidden door he looked like he was a fan who was just losing it in the front row same thing when he announced samoa joe hey the this guy spent $30 million to buy Ring of Honor when it, Ring of Honor was worth $4 million. Yeah. So, you know, he might be called a money mark. He, But he is money mark. And he doesn't and, mind throwing it around. And the talent, obviously, when you have a guy that's got the, well, the fountain of money and you can get that fountain of money, the talent's not going to tell you, hey, you're being ridiculous. If I was Tony Khan, I would have guys like Dutch, Mon- Dutch Mantel yeah. on, on consultant contract, Eric Bischoff on consultant contract, uh, Jim Cornette, if he would take it as a consultant, I would have um, three or four or five others, people that were my think tank that would come back. I'll tell you about this podcast. I have three or four people who, who I depend on every week to tell me, hey, that episode was good. Hey, stop talking about this. Hey, tr- go more here. Yeah. I depend on that. I don't pay them. But that's what Tony Khan absolutely needs. And it can't just be Dave Meltzer, the fanboy. It's got to be people who are going to tell you what you're doing wrong and what to do to focus on right. This thing with Bischoff is stupid, it's immature, and it makes Tony Khan look ridiculous. And if they think, oh, well, we're going to make Tony Khan look like a heel, it's a terrible move. Yeah, The heel owner 
was done only well twice. Once by Bischoff as the vice president in charge, right. the guy who had all the power, and then Vince did it better. And then any time it's tried since then, it's failed. What I don't it won't like, be Tony Khan. What I don't like is all the people who laugh about Dixie Carter for ten years, and they condone this guy. The difference is Dixie Carter had access to maybe seventy million dollars, maybe not even that. Her family's wealth—I don't know what it was—and Tony Khan has Shad's money, which is something like billions of dollars, hundred million, hundred million just to start the company. Yeah. Once. Like, I just think Tony Khan has to carry himself different. It offends me. And if they think, oh, well, we got people talking about it. No, what I'm saying is a negative. It does not make me want to see it through. It is bad. It is it is terrible. If it's an angle, it's a stupid angle. And if it's reality, it's two people. Well, not Bischoff hasn't done anything wrong. It's Tony Khan being an idiot. And that's what I got to say about that. Yeah, and, and, you, and you nailed it. I was talking to a friend of the show about this very topic. Really, when Tony Khan started up, I said he needs to hire somebody like Jim Cornette just to say no. Because after a few weeks of the show, I was like, okay, the inmates are running the asylum. He, they need somebody to just say no to these guys. They also need somebody to say no to Tony Khan and say, listen, you are not for on camera. You don't have the social graces for it. You also don't have the social karma or the social credit to, to pull off what you're trying to go for. And I think that has to come from the locker room, Jericho, MJF, Brian Danielson, yep. CM Punk, William Regal. They all have to stand up and say, Tony, let us do what we do well. We'll do what you want us to do. Don't be a part of it because you don't fit. But that's all I'm going to say about that. That's all, right. all I want to talk about mainstream wrestling for the next six months. This episode of the Total Bees Cheese Show is powered by FirstRow.ca, Canada's online collectible store where you'll find the coolest sports cards, autographs from your favorites, action figures, and of course, wrestling collectibles galore. As a loyal Total Bees Cheese Show listener, you can get 10% off your order using the code BEESCHEESE. Again, the code is B-E-E-Z. S-H-E-E-Z, one word, and receive 10% off your order. Firstrow.ca, Canada's online collectible store. And now we're going to what everybody's talking about. The It's sweeping the nation, Mike. Everybody loves this so much. I know I'm putting it over a lot, but we're talking about heels. And boy, am I excited because uh, the series is winding down, and I'm not excited about that part. I'm excited about the fact that we're getting some really, really dense episodes now. So let's get on to number seven. But before we do that, we have a special guest, Mike. We've got a special guest today from the Play Like a Jet podcast. we got Scott the Line Mason. Like Mason Dixon Line, get it? Oh, <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't have got it if you didn't clarify. That would have went right over my head. Scott Mason, are you there? I'm here, guys. It's an honor to be on with you. And Mike, I just have to say, it's fun to be on with you, especially because I used to love WFX Overload back in the day. I wow. watched it on America One, and I watched that. And actually, um, NWA Southern All-Star Wrestling, it was like a block that they aired the two of them. And it was a lot of fun because I got to watch wrestling in, in short bursts, one-hour shows that were well-told stories and the matches were good and everything flowed and 
I look forward to it every week. So it's a real treat to be on with you. Scott, you know what? The best way to be on this podcast every week is start with a solid put over. I appreciate that. Not a lot of people ever say that they watched every or watched episodes of WFX overload because I don't think America one was like the hugest network at the time, but wow, that's great. Thank you so much, Scott. No, absolutely. And actually it's funny. I found America one was, you know, it's one of those, like you said, it's a low power channel or something. So it's only on certain cable networks, but I was searching one day and I came across different wrestling shows and I was like, wow, this is really good. And then watching those shows and seeing guys like Bill Gunn, or as you guys had him under his real name, Kip and Bob Holly, and then getting to discover guys like Eric Cannon, who I hadn't watched before. And then later I got to see him in Dragon Gate. I hadn't seen Michael Elgin before, and then he wound up in Ring of Honor later on. So you really helped introduce me to some excellent talents in the business and Mentalo, another one who I had never seen before. And the show is good. And also you went to my put over. I really enjoyed your heel commentary too. (laughs) (laughs) You are the only person that's ever put over the commentary. That was actually everyone's number one criticism was that I was talking about Kenny Rogers and a drinking problem every episode. And people thought I, people thought I really didn't like him. I loved Kenny, but I needed, he was a senior citizen and I needed to give him layers of character. So what better than to say he was addicted to drinking vodka? (laughs) He probably was. I mean, we we do know that uh, Kramer on Seinfeld lived across the street from the other Kenny Rogers roasted chicken. So, you know, <laughs> that's right. Kenny Rogers roasted Kenny Rogers. <laughs> the Total B She's Show releases new episodes every Monday. Follow the Total B She's Show on Twitter at Total B She's, on Instagram at Total B She's, or search us on Facebook, Total B She's. So, Chris, what do you have for us from episode seven of Heels? It's what do they call that? The penultimate episode of the season. The penultimate. Look at you. Is this a word of a day thing? Did you pull that off the calendar today? I was Googling words that I wanted to say on this podcast, and that was the first one I wanted to hit. So penultimate. I I love it. I hope it's right. Let's just go with it. All right. I I don't know if you're right or not. So let's talk about episode seven. All right. We're keeping it light and tight today, but we open up with Crystal being contrite on Jack's doorstep, talking about the fact it's she feels like it's her fault that Ace's leg was broken. Um, of course, she ad- additions to be a wrestler after that because I think the apology got over. Yeah, correction there was Bobby Pin's leg got broken That's by right, Ace. Yes, by Ace, yes. Yeah. Um, so Crystal's doing anything she can to try to get over with the booker, and it, it didn't work. It was actually the booker's wife that showed sympathy, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But she, uh, later on in the show, I mean, talking about contrition, she, she gets into it with, with Willie and she, Willie's like the least forgiving person on the show, I think. Yeah. She's a hard ass, but she gets over with Willie and then Willie goes to bat for Crystal to get her the addition to wrestle. Scott Mason, let me ask you, which one's hotter, Crystal or Stacy? (laughs) That's a tough one. Uh, man. Crystal looks like a young Kate Hudson to me, mm. and I always really liked Kate well Hudson a lot. And Stacy just has that classic brunette look. I gotta say, Stacy, but it's close. They're both beautiful. You know what my problem with it is? We saw Crystal naked in like two or three episodes, and we didn't see Stacy naked once. That's true. Yeah. So I, I'm gonna because of the mystique. I'm gonna say Stacy. I like brunettes more than blondes anyway. So yeah, there you go. Um, Crystal's whole thing where she's like trying to trying to make up for I guess going off script as they say my experience as a booker is 
we don't refer to it as a script. Even when we wrote TV and there was script, like more scripting involved, it was always a rundown or, or breaking character, going into business for yourself. And I think the writers maybe should have called it that to be more true to form than, Oh, I went off script to me. They sound like kind of Mark's pretending, which is what the show is. But um, yeah, it's fallen flat for me. That part. The word script in wrestling is always problematic in general. I mean, a lot of the wrestlers don't like the, the word script in wrestling. One other point well, I'm going to let's make. Go, let's WFX, go. Larry Zbysko got handed a, a rundown with like a lot of creative in the back. And he was like, I'm just going to sit over here and study my script, which was sort of his way of protesting how much he was getting told yeah. to say. But talk about a professional. Larry stole every scene he was in. But like Larry was very clear to use the word script almost as a protest. So along with Crystal's contrition, she's uh, she's also kind of getting it from Ace. She's kind of getting it from Ace. He's being being typical Ace. He's being a bit of a dick in the show. And then Willie points out to, to Ace like, hey, you know, she didn't break Bobby's leg. You broke Bobby's leg, which is, which is a gr- great point, I think. I think that uh, big time, what I noticed is that Willie, the story background on Willie almost mimics Crystal. Yeah. And I yeah. think there's a kinship there and a relationship. I like Willie because I believe... In, in the office, you have to be a hard ass because talent needs tough management. Right. So it's a lot like coaching in pro sports. If you're too soft on your roster or your players, you're going to have players that don't know what to do. Um, and, and that's, to me, very frustrating. Scott, how do, you, how do you feel about the Crystal thing with Willie? Do you see the foreshadowing there? Do you see the um, Willie's the old Crystal and Crystal's the new Willie? Yeah, I think part of why Willie is so resistant to the idea of crystal at the beginning and then opens up to it as you guys will talk about as the season goes on and obviously this episode goes on is that maybe she sees too much of herself in crystal and it sort of is a reminder to her that left didn't really work out the way that she wanted it to i mean you heard what she and bill said back and forth to each other Obviously, maybe if she'd have stuck with Bill, there was a chance that she could have made it to the show with him. (laughs) She went with Tom and that didn't work out so well. So maybe that's part of it is she looks at Crystal, sees what she could have been, sees the potential in Crystal. And at a certain point, it it brings up painful memories and, and she's resentful. But I think obviously, as we see in this episode, she starts to get over that and ultimately becomes one of Crystal's biggest supporters. Million dollar point, because there's a scene where Willie talks to her husband who resembled Jim Crockett to me, and it's clear she has life regrets, and her husband's a great guy, has done everything he can to be supportive of her, and accepted her weird commitment to wrestling on the independent scene long after her days as a performer have ended. And you can tell Willie is like, she's in a midlife crisis. I think she wants Bill back. I think think you're right. guy that nobody should want back. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't think Bill has the emotional maturity to be successful in a relationship, to be successful. How in the world did he stay in corporate wrestling as long as he did? Anyway, moving on. I could go on about Bill all day. Michael Hayes stayed in corporate wrestling a long time. And I mean, look at what he does. Doot, doot, doot. Isn't that what they say? Yeah, that is what they say. Um, DWL is under attack. Uh, they're under attack by Charlie Gully. Char- Charlie Gully, which is my favorite promoter name of all time. He's papering their, their venue. He's uh, he's just getting under their skin. And of course, uh, Ace is going to go and defend the Duffy Wrestling League right at Charlie Gully's mansion. But Charlie Gully is not shook. Scott, how do you feel about that? Charlie Gully is an interesting cat because Ace goes there 
and he's ready to punch out Charlie Gully. And Charlie Gully completely turns the tables and basically emotionally manipulates him. And by the next scene, he's got Ace ready to sign up and go to the DWL. He read Ace perfectly, knows exactly what his insecurities are, knew how to turn him, and was able to do that. And then obviously we see what happens later on in the episode where Chris kind of saves the day. But I got to say, and, and I'm curious what you think about this, guys. When I see Charlie Gully, the two promoters that come into my head are Herb Abrams and Rob Black. Rob Black from XPW yeah. and, and Herb Abrams. Abrams, it was the same thing. Throwing money around. Nobody really knew where he got his money from. He was, and I hate using this term, but in this case, it's totally true. He was a money mark who just didn't know what he was doing, but was having all this fun and, and loved having all these people around him that were names, that were expensive, that he could get to believe in his vision. If you read about Herb Abrams or watch any of the documentary they did on him on uh, Dark Side of the Ring, it's clear that, that that's sort of what he wanted to be, almost like a cult leader. Rob Black, similar situation. And that's what I think Charlie Gully is. He, he almost wants to be like a low-rent Paul Heyman, and a low-rent Paul Heyman would be somebody like Herb Abrams or Rob Black. You are the first person to ever, ever compare Herb Abrams to Paul Heyman, and I love it. You know what the weird thing is? So I'm all over the place on the characters I like in this show. I like Bobby Pin, like he's my favorite character. But like, I find Gully to be almost charming. I would love it if this guy was trying to be the rival promoter in a territory I was running because he would dangle money and it would be up to me to outmaneuver what he offers talent, which is stupid money, yeah. mark money. And it would be up to me to motivate my talent to say, Hey, stick with me. It will be better if you stick with me. Trust me. I have a vision and outline where I want to go, which is exactly what Jack Spade has not done with a single person on his roster throughout this. But like he goes way off on, on, he doesn't, I don't think up until this episode, I think this is the first time Jack even took Charlie Gully even halfway serious. Yeah. I think this is one of those episodes where he realized that Charlie Gully is more than that guy that he had talked about earlier in the episode where I guess he was running some raunchy promotion when his dad, Tom Spade, was still running things and a bunch of the guys ran off for a quick payday. And then they ran back because he said they were drawing like 20 people at a flea market or whatever it was. But Gully's a guy with deep pockets and he's committed. And as he says himself in this episode, he respects that Jack is a fighter, but he wants to put him down. And Gully's not going to stop until somebody stops him. And I think Jack finally realizes that, especially once the ace thing happens. So I think with Rooster, he didn't like it that he took Rooster. But when you talk about ace, you're stealing not just a guy from his promotion, but A, the guy that could be the centerpiece of the promotion, and B, more importantly, his baby brother. So that to him is, I think, what, like you said, Mike, woke him up to what Charlie Gully really is, which is a, an actual threat. Kind of funny that you mentioned Herb Abrams, just to circle back a little bit. We happen to be at the anniversary, as we record this, of their only pay-per-view that ever took place. Beach Brawl uh, took place on this day in 1991 in, uh, in at the Manatee Civic Center, which is a great name for a, for a venue in Florida. So, hold it. We're going to sidebar here. Yeah, let's do it. I just realized that casino show in Vegas that I thought was a pay-per-view. Wasn't a pay-per-view. You're right. It was a Sports Channel America special. Yep. And that was the one where the ring announcer was all that, that UWF had, they had such a roster and and wow, no clue on what they were trying to do with that roster. 
Oh my gosh. I mean, I mean, the matches on that pay-per-view uh, in general, I haven't watched the pay-per-view, but I, apparently it's available out there. I don't know. Scott, have you, have you seen that pay-per-view? Beach Brawl? Yeah. One, I'll do one better. I've got an original in the box UWF Beach Brawl VHS. Oh, damn. Sealed? No, it's not sealed. I've watched it, but I, <laughs> I forget where I got it. But you want to talk about a collector's item. I will say that the funny thing about it is, and Mike, this is really your um, your area of expertise because you were a promoter. Like You can have great talent. And Herb Abrams, if you look at who wrestled on Beach Brawl, he had some really talented guys, some big names. But man, if you've got somebody running things that just doesn't have any idea what he's doing, Oof, that the result is going to be something similar to Beach Brawl. And Beach Brawl was just a jumbled mess. I mean, think about it. On paper, the main event was Dr. Death Steve Williams versus Bam Bam Bigelow. That's big yep. time stuff. Yeah, I'm surprised that match just, didn't draw a big buy rate. Because that's in 1991, was it? Whatever year it was? 91, yeah. 91, that should have been like a dream match. Yeah, you would think that it would have done better. But Herb Abrams was just such an absolute mess. And it, it's funny just to, to punctuate what kind of a promoter he was and how clueless he was in terms of how things work. You were talking, Chris, before about how Blackjack Brawl, that a lot of people thought it was a pay-per-view, but it was actually on Sports Channel. They ran that show out of the MGM Grand. Somehow they booked the MGM Grand. Don't ask <laughs> yeah. me how. It's a 16,000-seat arena in Las Vegas. They were able to sell only a couple of hundred tickets. And the capper on the whole thing is, it was on Sports Channel America, but there was a preseason hockey game airing before it. So it got joined in progress 10 minutes in because it got the first 10 minutes That's got right. preempted by a preseason hockey game. Oh, my. Everything that could go wrong. Amateur hour. And, wow. And Mike, while we're on this topic on, our, on the sidebar, do you have any idea how many people were drawn to that pay-per-view, to the actual pay-per-view? I'm. This is going to be a shot in the dark, but yeah. I bet you it was 375 people, and I bet you that the buy rate was probably 3,500 buys. I, I don't have the buy rate, but the attendance, get ready for this. Hang on to your wigs and oh, teeth. Oh, no. 550 people. Oh, uh, my guess wasn't that bad. Not bad. <laughs> 550 people, though, for that for, for that venues that's crazy what often happens when people play booker is they think they've got a match or they got a lineup that's going to draw the people and if you don't promote it properly it won't matter which is amazing because they as we said they had talent they just couldn't and i don't want to get into AEW, but i, I see quite a bit of that now with <laughs> AEW and Tony Khan, but that's a that's a whole other discussion for another time but Again, this is why I liked what you did in WFX, Mike, because you had the mixture of bigger names and guys that I hadn't heard of before, some local guys and some indie guys, and the stories all made sense, and the matches were all solid, and the production was pretty good, and with Herb Abrams, none of that was the case. They had names and nothing else. I mean, every match ended in a DQ or a countout. And there were matches that would get advertised and would never happen. Some guy would show up one week and then he would disappear. It was absolutely horrible. It was somehow a thousand times worse than anything Vince Russo could have ever booked. Wow. I think that put a cherry on that cupcake perfectly. I, I think so. And have we ever found out where Charlie Gully got his money from? Because no. the guy's got a mansion and he's got, you know, he's got all this stuff. He's got, he's starting his own wrestling league with names and stuff like that. Where's this guy getting his money? I'm going to guess. I'm going to speculate. I'm going to throw it out there. But I bet you season two, it comes out that he's a drug trafficker. That's what I think too. Yeah. 
I could see that. That, that would make some sense. I mean, look with Herb Abrams and Rob Black. I mean, Herb Abrams, they said they think the money came from clothing stores, but to this day, no one's really sure where he got that money. And people were showing up looking for money after he died. Who knows if he went to loan sharks and stuff. And with Rob Black, I mean, everybody knows where he, you know, where he was getting his money. He was a pornographer. So I wouldn't be shocked if it turns out Charlie Gully, like you said, he's either a drug trafficker or he's doing pornos like Rob Black or something like that. Yes, especially if they're going to do a throwback on that character and kind of try to draw comparables. I think you're probably right. Yeah, I'm going to go with pornographer. So moving on from there, we're getting to the the end of this now. Ace is all turned around by Charlie Gully and his smooth talk and jazz. And he's going to he's going to join. He's going to join up with Dystopia. Well, guess what? Crystal stooges to Jack and he is not having it. So he shows up at the Dystopia show, which is like, you know, in wrestling, that's mind blowing. When stuff like that happens, it always catches people off guard. He shows up and shows up in the ring to prevent this from happening. Yeah, so first, she's a giant stooge. (laughs) You don't run to the booker on something like that, but good for her because it saved the day and now endears her to, to Jack. So here's the problem with what Jack did. He stopped what would have been a pretty bad situation. Uh, but he created an angle that's going to draw a huge house for dystopia on their next show. But at the same time, the positive is going into their fair show, the big, the big fair yeah. that they're setting up for is now his fans are also going to be hot because he, he thinks they're going to think it's a cross promotion angle. So it's going to lead to both companies seeing a big boost in, in, in attendance and interest. But if Jack, all he had to do is let Ace debut and then convince him to come back. There's no contract. Right. If you think you can convince your brother, but I guess the way it worked, he goes in there and basically does a unprofessional run. And I've seen one of those before <laughs> and attacks the rival promoter in the ring. And it's, it's, it's going to lead to good business for both sides, unfortunately. Well, good for both, but also bad for both. So I, I liked that at the end, they told a bit of a story with the look. They had Jack and they had Ace and they had them, you know, lock eyes and there was that look. And I felt like that a lot of the story just in that look. Uh, Scott, I was wondering if you if you caught that. Yeah, for sure. And there there's so much of the family dynamic, not just with that look, but with the entire arc. Because remember, at the beginning of the episode, they show a flashback of Tom and Jack driving. And they get pulled, they pull over to the side of the road because Tom decides he doesn't want to wait for a rest stop because he's a real man. So he's going to use the side of the road to go to the bathroom. By the way, David James Elliott does a really good job as Tom Spade. I hadn't seen him since Jag went off the air, which was like 20 years ago or something like that. But he, um, he does that thing with Jack where they're arguing over Ace. And Jack's like, we need Ace in the DWL because he's this young up and comer. He can be our next star. We need him. And Tom clearly, and look, whether he says it explicitly or not, you, you can tell pretty easily that he favors Ace. He expects more out of Ace than he ever did for Jack. He just sees Jack as like, you know, whatever, a cog in the wheel, somebody to help him with the DWL. But Ace is the one of whom big things are expected. And so when Jack says, I think Ace can be this guy for us, Tom says no, and then they get into that fight on the side of the road, and he yells out that line that Jack then yells after he punches Charlie Gully, which was, don't come for my sh- boy. So that's what he says, and then essentially you, you look to now where they shoot each other that look, and you see that, for better or worse, Jack was right that Ace does belong in that family business. And that he was right all along when they were on the side of the when he was on the side of the road with his father. And it seems like for the first time, 
Jack and Ace are sort of on the same page, not only as far as wrestling goes, but as brothers. And, and that's a nice thing to see because it's been a really tumultuous relationship with these two. And our girl Stacy Mike says early in the episode, they're talking about what happens in the, in the matches. And she says, these people are way too concerned about who wins and loses. And Jack says, isn't that the point? And Stacy makes the prescient point that I think gets lost sometimes is, well, no, not if it's destroying real life relationships. And Mike, this is where you and Chris have talked a lot about how Jack and Ace are just massive marks. Yeah. And again, I hate using that term because anybody who watches wrestling is a mark. We're all marks. You have to be a mark to enjoy wrestling, right? But these guys are such ridiculous marks for themselves. And Stacy sort of peels it all back and, and puts it in a very simple term. Who cares who wins and loses? It's scripted. What's really important here is the, your relationship with your brother. And that's not worth squandering because you don't want to give up control of your script or you think that you know more than everybody else. Yeah. So really good, amazing point. Stacy's the voice of reason because Jack is way out there. Yeah. And like he, it makes him an unlikable character, but his wife is so likable because she's so down to earth. And that's so real life. A lot of times you'll get guys that get too consumed by the business. So there's two types of marks. There is the mark in the business who's a mark for himself. And that's a negative when you come across it. But then I very seldom refer to the wrestling fan as a mark because they're too damn important to refer to them in the negative light of a mark. So when I refer to somebody as a mark, I mean it in the insulting fashion. And it's generally somebody in the business who didn't understand the business. And that's what I get from Jack. And that's what I get from Ace. I found, I didn't even realize that that was Jag playing the dad. I didn't think that. And he is a great, like they play his character so well because I found him to be the guy that kind of screwed it all up by picking a favorite. And, Mm -hmm. and that's family dynamic where dad always has the favorite brother and don't, don't believe for a second that dads don't have the favorite kid. Sure they do. What I think, (laughs) what I think was very valuable now is because of the common enemy for the spades, they should be able to unite and United, it could be an interesting dynamic in the season finale and next season where now it's, they have a common enemy, they have a common goal, and now Ace can be the star that I think Jack envisions, envisions him to be. Yeah, and I think making them work together, I think that's going to that's gonna draw a lot for the DWL. I mean, we're talking about it like it's a real place, but I think it's <laughs> I think it's going to be a big draw for the DWL. They've made How, us marks. Yeah, they have made, they, they made us into marks. Uh, I think it's going to be huge for the DWL. And I mean, that dynamic that you're talking about, it's not unfounded in wrestling. There's lots of wrestling families. There's always, almost always, some sort of animosity in wrestling families in general. If both, if two guys are in the business and they're in a family... There's are you getting at me in Nevada again? I'm, I think you were. I think you were. You were drawing that comparison. I, I think you're right because Bruce Hart and Bret Hart weren't always on the same page, and I'm sure there was Von Erichs that had rivalries. A and lot I, of the Hearts were never on the same page. Yeah, yeah. and I. Uh, who else am I missing? Uh, Jerry Lawler and Honky Tonk Man. Yeah, it's like me in Nevada. I'm Lawler and he's honky. Oh, you're Lawler. Okay. Trust me, Vance would want to be honky. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah, because honky's got hair. So what happened? What are we, what are we, so that's the entire episode seven, as I recall it, right? I didn't miss, we didn't miss anything? I think that's everything. Did we miss anything, Scott? The only thing was that Crystal really impressed in the ring, but I think we touched on that. Yeah. And then obviously, I know that last week you guys were talking about how 
They weren't selling any tickets to the fair for obvious reasons. But Wild Bill's announcement now all of a sudden is starting to sell tickets. And Mike, I want to ask you a question about this because they're having tryouts, open tryouts. And this just seems absurd to me. Like if you were an indie promoter, wouldn't you more likely just reach out to guys and, and guys might send you tapes or you might get referrals? Like they would be having open tryouts this close to a fair where they're expected to sell thousands of tickets. It's just, am I wrong? This seems insane. You're a hundred percent right. Um, so you would have a guarantee. So you have a budget for talent and you're going to, you're going to look for that. The unfortunate part is they make wild bill, the guy that was going to draw the big house. No, I, I don't think they even referenced CM Punk's character. What was his name again? Uh, rabies, Ricky, rabies. Ricky rabies. They don't even talk about him and they're not talking about trying to land like the Ric Flair type of guy. That's going to sell those tickets. It's all on wild bill ACE and, and Jack to sell and they can only do 200 on the regular, 300 on the regular shows. Um, would you do an open trial? Yeah, to push your training school when you've got all that media on you. But you wouldn't be thinking, hey, we got to fill this card. Yeah. You'd just fill it with guys from a different region that you think could actually, you know, really, really hit a home run with the, with the fans. Overall, though, like, I think that everything that... It's amazing because the the writers did a great job researching the business, but the little things that they get wrong that now people have watched this season of Heels and they think they understand the way independent wrestling or even big league wrestling is done, and they, they really don't have a clue. Like, it isn't a booker doesn't worry about writing a script at a keyboard like that, and and there isn't that kind of, like, the, the dynamic of how the booker talks to the talent. I've never seen it like that. It's dysfunctional. I love it, but it's dysfunctional. All right, so this is huge this week, Mike, because for the first time ever, we have three people weighing in with their turnbuckle rating. Oh, yes. Three people, <laughs> the turnbuckle ratings. I'm super excited for this. You I, go first, Chris. You want me to go first? Yes. Oh, my gosh. So much pressure. Uh, let's go. I'm going with 11 turnbuckles Ooh, this week. Ooh, you gave 11. I'm That's giving, the only time you've given 11. It's the only time I've given 11. I really like this episode. Yeah. I thought it told a lot of a story. I kind of wish it was paced out a little more over the last episode but that's how I felt about the whole series. I just kind of wish it was paced better, yeah. but I love this episode because of the story it told. We're going to do it the opposite way of how you do it when you have a meal and, and the guest comes over yeah. and he goes first. Nope, you're going last, Scott. I'm going to go second. And I unfortunately don't give it 11. I gave Ooh. last week's 11. Yeah. I'm going to give this one a solid 10. And the reason I give it a 10 as opposed to 11 is the story arc to bring Ace and Jack together, I think was counterproductive. I think that Jack hitting the ring and attacking, although it was great for, for, for the drama, wasn't the most practical way it would have got, would have been done. And someone would have grabbed Jack by the ankle and held him, held him. And then they all would have got their licks in and he would have got screwed up real bad. Um, so I give it a 10, I would give it 10 and a half. I'm going to give it a solid 10. Um, but it's got me excited about the season finale okay. because I think that they, they've done a good job of leading to the climax. All right, Scott. And what, what do you say? How many turnbuckles are we looking at from you? I got to give it 11. I'm going to go with you, Chris. Right. I think this is favorite episode thus far. And I just thought this was the first time where Jack really sort of understood the gravity of what was going on. I mean, hopefully in the, se the season finale, uh, which I've watched, but I'm not going to give spoilers for, he starts to realize, I'm hoping, that Stacy is the most important thing in his life and puts more of a premium on her. By the way, 
quick thing that we didn't talk about was his son getting into that fight at school. Right. And that was a call back to him seeing his father handle his business in the hospital with Ace getting violent. And then remember, he had said to, to Tom when he was pushing him on the side of the road, real, in the real world, adults don't solve their problems with violence. And so his own words from the past come back to haunt him as his son gets violent. And Stacy again, is the hero. So I hope that next week, Stacy continues to be the hero. That's part of what's factored into my 11 here is that she got some time to shine. But I really liked how the story's coming along, the, the arc with Crystal and Willie, how Willie's starting to realize that Crystal could be what maybe she thought she could be. And so now she's in her corner instead of being resentful. I like how Wild Bill is starting to come into his own here as far as helping to, to push the tickets. And then obviously the scenes with Charlie Gully, just a fascinating character. And I've always liked Michael Malley. Even going back to when he was when I was a kid, and he had that show Guts on Nickelodeon, so it was, it's always fun to see him. There you go, two elevens right. and a ten, and you got the reasons why. One last question, Scott, before you go: How are the New York Jets going to do this season? What's their record going to be? Uh, it's a tough one. Uh, I would say probably between six and seven wins is what I would guess. So between six and eleven, and um, uh, seven and ten because now it's a seventeen game season, which I keep forgetting. <laughs> a lot of it really depends on Zach Wilson. I mean, we we saw he struggled a lot last year, but toward the end of the year, he started to play better, especially against the Tampa Bay Bucks. He started seeing the field better, reading defenses. They added some really nice players in the off season, both in the draft and in free agency, to upgrade the roster. So I think they're on the right track. But a lot of it just comes down to the quarterback. And Mike, you work for CFL teams, so you know how this works. If you don't have a quarterback, you're at a massive disadvantage. So if he starts to play better this year, I think they'll begin turning the corner, and they might even exceed what I, I just said. But uh, if he doesn't, then it might be, unfortunately, another four-win season. But I'm, I'm going to split the difference and say six or seven wins. How, I'm keeping my fingers crossed, though, that they're at least watchable because they haven't been for a long time. How devastated will you be if it's a three- or four-win season? Well, I guess it depends on why it's a three or four win season. If it's a three or four win season because Zach Wilson's terrible, it's going to be a huge blow. Uh, if it's a three or four win season because they're just murdered with injuries and it's not anything that could have been helped, I'll still be upset, but it won't be as bad. But yeah, uh, another three or four win season would be tough. The Jets have had one winning season in the last 12 years, and even that year they didn't go to the playoffs. So I guess what I'm saying is, that they are like the TNA of <laughs> football. Perfect. I love it. So when I start betting this season on the NFL, I'm calling you every week to get your picks. Anytime, Mike. Let me know. <laughs> Thank you so much, Scott, for joining us today. Thank you for your insights on heels. We're going to try to bring you back for the season finale next week. And uh, thank you for your time today. Chris, what do you... Yeah, and Scott, you know, if you ever get yourself up here to Winnipeg, you can come and check out a CFL game on the Total Beast She Show. We'll make sure that you get a good seat and all that sort of stuff. And uh, before you go, what are your socials where people can follow you? Um on Twitter at play like a jet one. And then if anybody wants to check out the content, I do seven days a week of jets podcast. God help me. It's probably why I'm <laughs> oh losing my, my mind. Slowly but, surely. but you can find that anywhere where you get podcasts, Apple, Stitcher, all that stuff. And then uh, play like a jet.com and youtube.com slash play like a jet. We do a lot of film breakdowns of uh, all 22 and all that. So you can get a better idea of the players and such. And, 
guys, listen, honestly, it's been such a treat to be on and talk a little wrestling. It's a nice break from talking football. As much as I love to talk football, it's fun to talk about something else. And it was great to talk about heels. Mike, as I said, an honor to be on with you, uh, being that I like WFX so much. And uh, by the way, as somebody that has done audio production, I've used that music bed that you use for Kip for commercials and promos. So thank you for that. <laughs> That's great. Thank uh, you so time, much, Scott. Absolutely. And anytime you guys want me to come back, this is a blast. Chris, thank you so much. Um, both of you guys are great. I love the show and I'm looking forward to seeing how it progresses. And one day, hopefully I can come up to Winnipeg and catch uh, not just a CFL game, but hopefully an indie show with you guys. That would be great. I'll get you on the sidelines if you come for a bomber game. I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> 20-year Canadian indie wrestling veteran Rob Stardom has done it all, wrestling in Japan, Mexico, and many places in between, but he's winding down his career. He's not done yet, though. Follow along on the journey of Canadian strong style Rob Stardom as he checks a few more things off his bucket list. Check out the Rob Stardom vlog on YouTube. Just go to youtube.com and search Rob Stardom vlog. And don't forget to leave a comment saying the Total B She's podcast sent you. Oh, I'm breaking the rules again there, Chris. You know what? It's summertime and I love cold beer. Don't mind if I do. And I've got a friend. We've got a friend who runs tap and rail in Winnipeg. Yeah. And he sent a text over and he was like, Hey, how are you guys doing for beers? And because he'd only sent two over last time, we'd obviously drank those. We were doing very poorly for beers. So he, yeah. So he decided he was going to send over two more because it's a, it, it's been hot and it's perfect beer drinking weather. And so today he sent over a sample, two cans of Brock street blonde. Yeah. And I haven't sipped it yet. I opened it. You heard me open it. I'm about to have my sip and I'm going to tell you what I think of Brock Street Blonde. Okay. So, so bear with me. I'm going to enjoy this. I, I'm a big fan of these, these blondes. So, uh, who isn't right? I prefer brunettes, but oh, okay. in this case, I love the blonde. Let's go, Mike. Let's see. Let's see. Ooh, I like it. Okay. I'm, I'm going to give it. I'm going to yeah, give have it your mind. sip. Okay. So first thing I that needed occurs that. to me, the first thing that occurs to me, how crisp, how crisp and refreshing. Yeah. Oh my God. I needed that because I, I'm going blind here. You have two questions from our listeners that I have no idea what they are. Yeah. This, this week, this week I'm taking over the, the, the inbox here. So here, uh, here before you questions. ask, oh. I have a rule, one oh, rule. Oh, oh. If Vance Nevada asked the question, <laughs> you have to stipulate that first. And if the question's going to get me piping hot... Tell me beforehand, because I've been really mellow today, oh. except for that Tony Khan stuff. Well, this one might be from Vance Nevada. It's from Nance Venata. <laughs> oh, no, that's a pseudonym. Okay, we'll delete that one. All right. All right, this one is from Lori. Okay, let's and, hear it. And she's asking a question to both of us about the podcast. Uh, she says, what are the challenges that you two face working with each other? Ooh, that's an interesting question, because everybody has challenges working with me. Yeah. If, uh, you, if you go back to... Bobby J and I, he fired me. Wayne Stanton and I had challenges. Uh, Tony Candelo had challenges with me way back when. Nobody, but Tony and I, I had a lot of respect for Tony. I had respect for all those people. Andrew and I had challenges. Yeah. Jeff Dick and I had challenges. Everybody 
has had challenges working with me. It's me. It's not them. Okay, so so should I start? Is that yeah? What let's saying? hear you okay. first. Um, I don't have a lot uh, to gripe about in this area, other than <laughs> when you're over caffeinated, you're hard to handle. You 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 came into a show one day, you were over caffeinated, and we had to stop in the middle because I I couldn't handle the sheer amount of energy that was coming across the table at me. Do you know I I OD'd on caffeine pills once? For real? Yeah. Shane Madison, geez wheeze, geez wheeze, gave me a bottle full of caffeine pills and I read the side. I, I'll get to the answer. No, no. So mine don't. is caffeine, you say? Is yeah. that your answer? Yeah. Just okay. over caffeinated. Okay. You do your thing. So I read the side of the bottle and it said one pill is equal to two cups of coffee. So in my mind, I thought I could handle 14 cups of coffee, no problem. Wow. And I hadn't slept well and I thought the caffeine would allow me to balance no sleep. Because we'd driven from Winnipeg to Edmonton, 14-hour drive, and I stayed up telling stories the whole way. It was Jeff Dick, Jeez Wheeze, and Sean Houston and I. And I took so many caffeine pills that it didn't hit me for the longest time. I took like, I took 8, 10, 12, I don't even remember. By like, I, at 8 o'clock in the morning, I started, and by 2 o'clock, I'd taken like 12 or 14, something oh like God. that. Oh my God. And then it hit me. <laughs> And I became sick and we were supposed to go to the bar that night, but I, I just said, I'm not, I'm not feeling well. I stayed and my, my chest was pounding. Poof, poof, poof. I thought I was having a heart attack. I was in my early mid, like early twenties. This was like 2004. So I would have been 25 years old. I was, I thought I was having a heart attack and it was all from ODing on caffeine. And now I take caffeine pills now, like not as often with you because you got mad that one day. <laughs> and so, yeah, if that's the challenge, I, I feel bad. Like, thank God you didn't see me. Sean Houston had to stay up with me and check my pulse because I was convinced I was having a heart attack. I went to Jeff Dick who, you know, him and I were really, really close at that time. And I said, I'm having a heart attack. And he said, here's my cell phone, call 911, I'm sleeping. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, no, you weren't, the, you weren't that bad. You were, it was just- Oh, a, I don't it, take 14 pills anymore. It was a, just a bit of a challenge. I was a junkie on caffeine. Okay, so it's, my it's challenge, your turn. yeah, I don't have a challenge with you. You you do everything like you make me sound professional. You coach me not to swear and not to use foul language and not tell stories that'll get me canceled. And it's a great question from Lori because like when I handpicked you to be the co-host of the Total B She Show, it's exact. I I had done your podcast once before and I I loved the prep you'd done on the interview and it was such an enjoyable experience and it's been that way. It's a big reason why we've had the early success we have in eight episodes of the things we've accomplished. So yeah, sorry, Lori, I'm going to come up lame on this, but I don't have any challenges working with Chris. All right, then. Well, now I feel bad. I feel like the heel because I, oh, no. I came no, up with one. You, you, you had to come up with one. I, if I, 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 I will say this. I am difficult to work with. I'm neurotic. I'm, I'm temperamental. I'm stressed all the time. I don't manage my schedule well. And I have a, such a tremendous ego and, and a love for myself that is really difficult for people to handle at times. But no, I have zero to complain about your your efforts at all. Okay, so that might be why we get along so well in the show, because it was once said about me when I was in broadcasting, somebody said, nobody loves Chris as much as Chris loves Chris. And they, they said that about me, about my ego. Now, that ego is sort of, it's been curtailed a little bit. Yeah, but I've never seen an ego from you, but, but uh, so there that, you go. that could be why we get along. Let's right, get let, to the next one. Yeah, absolutely. This one's coming from our friend, Superfan Dan. I, mean, I love Superfan Dan. I love Superfan Dan too. He, he, uh, he sent us some money in PayPal once, one other time. He's done it again. Five bucks in our PayPal. Beautiful. 
Oh, if, if every listener sent us $5, I'd be retiring. Um, so here's the Thank question. you, Superfan Dan. And we've ruled out that he's Dan King or, or Danny Danny Duggan? I, we haven't ruled it out yet. I almost, I'll know by the question. I almost wonder if they're it's them together. They're throwing in two fifty each. Neither one of them likes me enough to give me free money. Yeah, and not even $2. I will shout out to Superfan Dan every time. Like, even when he doesn't do this, he uh, he's great. Thank you so much, Dan. Okay, so Superfan Dan asks... Mike, working with all the big names that you have worked with, have any of these big time wrestlers really gotten under your skin and made you mad? Mm. Really peed you off. He, he used that. He used the word. He ha, have you been peed off? Peed on or peed off? Peed both. I've I never got, been peed on. We're, ask, we're asking. But I don't hang now. out with Bobby J. <laughs> <laughs> Zing. Ah. Uh, okay. I had my run in with Rikishi and I take my responsibility for that. That was me. I had some challenges with Brian, the late Brian Christopher, but I respected him and he was a tremendous talent and a, just an amazing, he was over the top person. I want to hear about that sometime because I was a big fan of his. I could tell you about him slapping someone's face over. A, <laughs> I'd have to go into some pretty private details, but uh, yeah. One guy that pushed me, and it led, to, like, I, I never, like, I, I always knew my place and I never ever, like, cause they had been to the best land, like they'd been to the land of giants in WWE. And I don't think Vince McMahon exactly cussed them out or yelled at them, but I yelled at Kevin Thorne once or twice. And, uh, I found Kevin Thorne to be extremely talented and he had his character down, but I found him to be difficult to produce. And it happened twice. Once he got into a face-to-face stare down with Curtis St. Marie in the front row. Wow. And it was, a t- it was nothing. Like Curtis was harmless and Ke- Kevin didn't, like nothing happened, but it, it was a TV taping and we're trying to cram in three episodes of WFX Overload and they stared down for over a minute. And I was like, God, we don't have a minute to kill on something that we're not, it's not going to air on TV like that. So I gave Kevin a hard time that time. And then another time it was Kevin Thorne and Gangrel against Bob Holly and Sabu and Holly and Sabu were supposed to win the match and Kevin changed the finish. Oh, a who's Rick Victor. Yeah. He hadn't been to WWE yet, but he had a do a run in and take the pin. And Oh, was I mad? I was screaming. And I actually, the guy who got the brunt of that was Billy Gunn. And I said, cause Billy had, pushed for Kevin to get hired and they were buddies. And I was like, you're buddy, you're a guy. And I was like, he just changed the finish because he didn't want to take a pin. And like, I was mad. Yeah. So here's how it was handled though. So I didn't have to yell at Kevin Thorne. They come back from the match and I'm fuming. And Billy Gunn took them all in the, Sabu, Bob Hawley, Kevin Thorne and Gangrel into the, into a separate room and he yelled at them for 15 minutes. Wow. And he gave it to them bad. And then I'm dealing with them with pay, payoffs and Sabu, it was his only show working for us and he's apologetic. He's like, if I had known, I would have put my foot down. I said, no man, it's not, I don't think it was you. And Bob Holly, who was in on his first show was like, Mike, I'm sorry. I, I, you know, when we got together on the, in the four of us, you know, we just, we, this is what we came up with and very apologetic and Gangrel, who is the greatest, yeah. nicest guy was like, I feel bad. And I said, Dave, don't feel bad. It's, it, it happens. And then Kevin Thorne come, came up and he's like, can I talk to you? And I said, and I was mad at him because I, I'd come to learn he was the guy who had yeah. used some creative input to change things. 
And he thought he was going to be fired because the way Billy had talked to him. And I said, no, we're going to be fine. We're going to get past it. But like you changed the finish because essentially you didn't want to take a pin, it seemed whether that was the case or not. And it, and it what did come out, he wanted to try to keep everybody strong. He said it was too much star power in one match. It really wasn't. Sabu and Holly should have went over. That's not his call to make. Exactly, exactly. So it, it, it happened. And I love Kevin. He was a great guy. I hate telling the story because people are going to get the wrong idea. But like the way Billy Gunn handled it was amazing. And the way that they, like all those guys, none of them said, who the hell is Mike Davidson to be mad? Like they all owned it. We were all doing regular business together and building something. So that, that would be the story. Kevin Thorne drove me crazy. Another time, Kevin Thorne read the lineup, and for some reason he thought he was turning babyface, even though he wasn't told. So he sort of started to do it at shoot turn. <laughs> and uh, I was like, Kevin, what the WTF? Like, yeah. what are you doing? And he was like, I thought it was there. And I said, if I don't tell you it's there, don't invent it. It's not there. Yeah, and... Uh, and I love Kevin. Like it, it sucks to tell the story the way it is, but that's what happened. And uh, yeah, that was that. That that's the story. Uh, that's a fantastic story, and it, it kind of gives me a little more insight into Kevin Thorne because I, I, you know, I only saw him when he went when he when he went to New York. We'll just say that. And and the terrible terrible gimmick they kind of put him in. And it wasn't a terrible gimmick. Seven or Mordecai or Mordecai. Okay, that was he was a, he was going to be a very strong character. It's not, no, uh, and his commitment it's to not the, him. Yeah, I, I just creative. I just think the creative was not. Yeah, that. in in fairness to him, he owned his like when he did Kevin Thorne or, yeah. or Thorne Seven Thorne. Like he he went the distance with it. I still think Gangrel was a better vampire, but you know you can't touch Gangrel. Should have been iconic as a character because he did it that well. Yeah, um, but nobody gives Kevin Thorne enough credit for the way he tried to get the gimmick over. Okay, so moving on, moving on from our questions, and you know, you brought up vampires. You have to wonder if those fangs would help you when you're biting into a great big chicken sandwich from Mary Brown's. <laughs> you, you prick! Uh, <laughs> that was the worst, crudest throw ever, you but I love, love it. it. Yeah. I do. Um, you know, I'm going to Mary Brown's tonight because that damn Dave Patrician got me hooked. You know what it is? That guy outsmarted us. He, did. he sends us a, a, a gift card. And he says, you know, I think you guys are doing great. And he sends us a gift card and it was great. But now I'm hooked. I'm going like once, once or twice a week. I don't want to mention how many times I'm going to Mary Brown. I'm going tonight and, and you were just, what, $50 you spent in one sitting I, I all did. for yourself? I, I, I did. I went. No, come on. You had a date there. No, 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 no date would ever be around watching me eat $50 with a chicken. And that's what happened because I was on a 48 hour fast. And I was like, Nothing better to kill a fast than $50 worth of Mary Brown's chicken. And let me tell you, it was well worth it. I had their chicken, chicken strips. And here's the thing about those chicken strips because you buy chicken strips from a place and you bite into it and it's like yeah you know it's good this i bit into it it's like this is legit chicken it pulls apart like chicken it tastes like chicken because it is chicken yeah it's real good chicken stop i haven't eaten okay Uh, (laughs) like you're you're making me mad now there's a couple more things that i love the the pickle chips those are fantastic the dip that goes along with them i don't know what the dip is but it's fabulous you have to try. Are you going to mention everything you ate over fifty dollars? We're going to be here all night. I got to go eat. Okay, one more thing. One more yeah. thing. I want. One more thing. I want to mention is the taters. And I had the. You Nashville, love those taters. I had the Nashville hot taters. So this is going to surprise you because you know I'm not. I'm fairly averse to spice. Yeah. I had them. They were not overly spicy. They're fantastic. So okay. Good. Okay. You're doing this on purpose. I am. I need you to stop talking about food. I'm going there now. Mary Brown's chicken. 
Now, let me tell you what we're going to talk about next week. I'm going to get an interview guest. Thank you so much to Scott Mason. Yes, Scott, you're awesome. He was awesome. He added so much to us talking about episode seven of Heels. We should try to get him back for the finale next week. If he'll do it, he's very busy. Um, I want to talk next week, obviously season finale. I might have a follow-up on Tony Khan, even though I don't want to talk about mainstream wrestling. I want to answer more questions next week, and I'm sure we're going to have an interview guest, and I have a few in mind who we were going to have today, but because Scott came on and it went the way it did, but we're going to have an interview guest. I want to talk to Bobby Sharp, who's coming back from uh, major hip Hip surgery. surgery, And he's looking great. Yeah, I got something special planned for a bunch of different people. Scotty Mack's going to be coming on the show soon. Vance Nevada, we may have. Yeah, well, he's tentatively booked. I get a nickel every time I say his name. So Vance Nevada hopefully comes on the show and I hope Vance Nevada has a lot of stories to tell and we can talk about Vance Nevada's book and Vance Nevada's wrestling career. So I just made myself a quarter. Rob Stardom is going to be coming on the show. Tony Candelo is going to be coming on the show. Steve Stryker is going to be coming on the show and I bet you anything Wayne Stanton's coming back for part two. I I think Wayne Stanton's coming back. Steve Stryker though, I don't know. Steve Stryker, is he a big enough guest for us? Why do you rip on Steve Stryker? Because I, I love it, because he puts it over every time. Every you time. know, I said Tony Khan should have Eric Bischoff as oh, a consultant. Oh, yeah. I always considered Steve Stryker to be a consultant for any project I was ever in. I don't think enough promoters call Steve Stryker just to spitball and get ideas. He's a very, very intelligent guy. He, he is, and, and he will he will not sugarcoat it. He will give you the straight Very note. true. He, wait till he talks to you, man, oh, like I, after the shots I'm you've lo- taken. I'm looking forward to it. All right, Glenn Goza, cue him up, please. Ooh. I just have one last thing to say. Um, I can't wait for what's coming this summer, and I can't wait for the Total Bee She's show launch party. Yeah. And it's going to keep on getting bigger and better thanks to the listeners. We love you. Glenn Goza, R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Be out. Well, the boss called me up and said, come in to work. I just hung up on that slave-driving jerk. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. Well, you'd think I'd rather be sweating on a dock or watching somebody use a hammer lock. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Well, I love to watch the missing link bang his head on a corner post and the romper bumper butt butt delivered by the ice man. The Freebirds, Roberts, Hayes, and Gardy, but what I like the most is Kerry delivering the iron claw as only the Vaughn Eric's can. Well, the boss called again, said it's time and a half. You'll come in tonight, and I just had to laugh. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Well, my girlfriend called, and friend, she could be a model for Fredericks of Hollywood, but she was hassling, really hassling. Said I could come over early and stay real late, but I told her, honey, if we have a date, we're going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Kevin Von Erich, when he's really high and flying, I like to see Ric Flair, but he's out there strutting. Andre the Giant must be seven foot nine. Why well, wouldn't miss this for a dozen girls, and I wouldn't miss this for nothing. I said, honey, I hope you ain't hurt. She said, I'm putting on my wrestling shirt. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. 
R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Well, last night I dreamed my life was over. There was golden streets and fields of clover and the lights, they were dazzling. I looked for old St. Peter at the pearly gates. I found a note that said, I won't be too late. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. There's gentleman Chris Adams with his super kick in place. Young Mike Von Erich with his own iron claw. And I'll never forget the classic matches of the 70s and 80s. Two champions, Harley Race and David Von Erich. St. Peter told me as he let me in, from now on, every Monday and Friday, Glenn, we're going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Boy, if I'd known this was going to happen, I wouldn't have bought those advanced tickets. By the way, St. Pete, are you sure these wings will fit in a ringside seat? Is Fritz coming up here anytime soon?
Oh. I'm breaking the rules again there, Chris. You know what? It's summertime, and I love cold beer. Don't mind if I do. And I've got a friend. We've got a friend who runs Tap and Rail in Winnipeg. Yeah. And he sent a text over and he was like, hey, how are you guys doing for beers? And because he'd only sent two over last time, we'd obviously drank those. We were doing very poorly for beers. So he, yeah. So he decided he was going to send over two more because it's a, it, it's been hot and it's perfect beer drinking weather. And so today he sent over a sample, two cans of Brock Street Blonde. Yeah. And I haven't sipped it yet. I opened it. You heard me open it. I'm about to have my sip and I'm going to tell you what I think of Brock Street Blonde. Okay. So, so bear with me. I'm going to enjoy this. I, I'm a big fan of these, these blondes. So, uh, who isn't right? I prefer brunettes, but oh, okay. in this case, I love the blonde. Let's go, Mike. Let's see. Let's see. Ooh, I like it. Okay. I'm, I'm going to give it. I'm going to yeah, give have your sip. Okay. So first thing I that needed occurs that. to me, the first thing that occurs to me, how crisp, how crisp and refreshing. Yeah. Oh my God. I needed that because I, I'm going blind here. You have two questions from our listeners that I have no idea what they are. Yeah. This, this week, this week I'm taking over the, the, the inbox here. So here, uh, here before you questions. ask, oh. I have a rule, one oh, rule. Oh. If Vance Nevada asked the question, <laughs> you have to stipulate that first. And if the question's going to get me piping hot... Tell me beforehand, because I've been really mellow today, oh. except for that Tony Khan stuff. Well, this one might be from Vance Nevada. It's from Nance Venata. <laughs> oh, no, that's a pseudonym. Okay, we'll delete that one. All right. All right, this one is from Lori. Okay, let's and, hear it. And she's asking a question to both of us about the podcast. Uh, she says, what are the challenges that you two face working with each other? Ooh, that's an interesting question, because everybody has challenges working with me. Yeah. If, um, you, if you go back to... Bobby J and I, he fired me. Wayne Stanton and I had challenges. Uh, Tony Candelo had challenges with me way back when. Nobody, but Tony and I, I had a lot of respect for Tony. I had respect for all those people. Andrew and I had challenges. Yeah. Jeff Dick and I had challenges. Everybody has had challenges working with me. It's me. It's not them. Okay. So, so should I start? Is that Yeah. Let's saying? hear you okay. first. Um, I don't have a lot uh, to gripe about in this area other than oh. when you're over caffeinated, you're hard to handle. You, you, you came into a show one day, you were over-caffeinated, and we had to stop in the middle because I, I couldn't handle the sheer amount of energy that was coming across the table at me. Do you know I, I OD'd on caffeine pills once? For real? Yeah. Shane Madison, geez wheeze, geez wheeze, gave me a bottle full of caffeine pills, and I read the side. I, I'll get to the answer. No, no. So mine cool. is caffeine, you say? Is yeah. that your answer? Yeah, just okay. over-caffeinated. Okay. You do your thing. So I read the side of the bottle, and it said, one pill is equal to two cups of coffee. So in my mind, I thought I could handle 14 cups of coffee, no problem. Wow. And I hadn't slept well, and I thought the caffeine would allow me to balance no sleep because we'd driven from Winnipeg to Edmonton, 14-hour drive, and I stayed up telling stories the whole way. It was Jeff Dick, Jeez Wheeze, and Sean Houston and I. And I took so many caffeine pills that it didn't hit me for the longest time. I took like, I took eight, 10, 12. I don't even remember by like I, at eight o'clock in the morning, I started and by two o'clock. I'd taken like 12 or 14, something oh my like God. that. And then it hit me <laughs> and I became sick and we were supposed to go to the bar that night. But I, I just said, I'm not, I'm not feeling well. I stayed and my, my chest was pounding. Poof, poof, poof. Yeah. I thought I was having a heart attack. I was in my early mid, like early twenties. This was like 2004. So I would have been 25 years old. 
I was, I thought I was having a heart attack and it was all from ODing on caffeine. And now I take caffeine pills now, like not as often with you because you got mad that one day. (laughs) And so, yeah, if that's the challenge, I I feel bad. Like, thank God you didn't see me. Sean Houston had to stay up with me and check my pulse because I was convinced I was having a heart attack. I went to Jeff Dick who, you know, him and I were really, really close at that time. And I said, I'm having a heart attack. And he said, here's my cell phone, call 911, I'm sleeping. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, no, you weren't, the, you weren't that bad. You were, it was just- Oh, a, I don't it, take 14 pills anymore. It was a, just a bit of a challenge. I was a junkie on caffeine. Okay, so uh, it's, my it's challenge? your turn. Yeah. I don't have a challenge with you. You you do everything, like you make me sound professional. You, you coach me not to swear and not to use foul language and not tell stories that'll get me canceled. And like, it's a great question from Lori because like, You've done every, when, when I handpicked you to be the co-host of the Total She show, it's exact, I, I had done your podcast once before and I, I loved the prep you'd done on the interview and it was such an enjoyable experience and it's been that way. It's a big reason why we've had the early success we have in eight episodes, the things we've accomplished. So yeah, sorry, Lori, I'm going to come up lame on this, but I don't have any challenges working with Chris. All right. Then, well, now I feel bad. I feel like the heel because I, oh, no. I came no, up with one. You, you, you had to come up with one. I, if I, 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 I will say this. I am difficult to work with. I'm neurotic. I'm, I'm temperamental. I'm stressed all the time. I don't manage my schedule well. And, and I have a, such a tremendous ego and, and a, a love for myself that is really difficult for people to handle at times. Um, but no, I have zero to complain about your your efforts at all. Okay, so that might be why we get along so well in the show because it was once said about me when I was in broadcasting, somebody said, nobody loves Chris as much as Chris loves Chris. And they, they said that about me, about my ego. Now, that ego is sort of, it's been curtailed a little bit. Yeah, but I've never seen an ego from you, but, but uh, so there that, you go. that could be why we get along. Let's right, get let's, to the next one. Yeah, absolutely. This one's coming from our friend, Superfan Dan. Now, I love Superfan Dan. I love Superfan Dan too. He, he, uh, he sent us some money in PayPal once, one other time. He's done it again. Five bucks in our PayPal. Beautiful. Oh, if, Beautiful. if every listener sent us $5, I'd be retiring. Um, so here's the Thank question. you, Superfan Dan. And we've ruled out that he's Dan King or, or Danny Danny Duggan? I, we haven't ruled it out yet. I almost, I'll know by the question. I almost wonder if they're it's them together. They're throwing in 250 each. Neither one of them likes me enough to give me free money. Yeah, and not even $2. I will shout out to Superfan Dan every time. Like, even when he doesn't do this. he uh, He's great. Thank you so much, Dan. Okay, so Superfan Dan asks, Mike, working with all the big names that you have worked with, have any of these big time wrestlers really gotten under your skin and made you mad? Mm. Really peed you off. He, he used that. He used the word. He ha, have you been peed off? Peed on or peed off? Peed both. I've I never got, been peed on. We're, ask, we're asking. I don't hang now. out with Bobby J. <laughs> <laughs> Zing. Ah. Uh, okay. I had my run in with Rikishi, and I take my responsibility for that. That was me. I had some challenges with the late Brian Christopher, but I respected him and he was a tremendous talent and just an amazing, he was over the top person. I want to hear about that sometime because I was a big fan of his. I could tell you about him slapping someone's face over. (laughs) I'd have to go into some pretty private details, but uh, yeah. Um, One guy that pushed me and it led, like I, I never... Like I always knew my place and I never ever like, cause they had been to the best 
land, like they'd been to the land of giants in WWE. And I don't think Vince McMahon exactly cussed them out or yelled at them, but I yelled at Kevin Thorne once or twice. And, uh, I found Kevin Thorne to be extremely talented and he had his character down, but I found him to be difficult to produce. And it happened twice. Once he got into a face-to-face stare down with Curtis St. Marie in the front row. Wow. And it was, a t- it was nothing. Like Curtis was harmless and Ke- Kevin didn't, like nothing happened, but it, it was a TV taping and we're trying to cram in three episodes of WFX Overload and they stared down for over a minute. And I was like, God, we don't have a minute to kill on something that we're not, it's not going to air on TV like that. So I gave Kevin a hard time that time. And then another time it was Kevin Thorne and Gangrel against Bob Holly and Sabu and Holly and Sabu were supposed to win the match and Kevin changed the finish. Oh, APOC who's Rick Victor. Yeah. He hadn't been to WWE yet, but he had APOC do a run in and take the pin. And Oh, was I mad? I was screaming and I actually, the guy who got the brunt of that was Billy Gunn. And I said, cause Billy had pushed for Kevin to get hired and they were buddies. And I was like, your buddy, your guy. And I was like, he just changed the finish. Cause he didn't want to take a pin. And like, I was mad. Yeah. So here's how it was handled though. So I didn't have to yell at Kevin Thorne. I didn't even have to talk to Kevin Thorne. They come back from the match and I'm fuming and Billy Gunn, Took them all in the Sabu, Bob Holly, Kevin Thorne, and Gangrel into the into a separate room, and he yelled at them for fifteen minutes. Wow! And he gave it to them bad. And then I'm dealing with them with pay payoffs, and Sabu it was his only show working for us, and he's apologetic. He's like, if I had known, I would have put my foot down. I said, no, man, it's not. I don't think it was you. And Bob Holly, who was in on his first show, was like, Mike, I'm sorry, I I. You know, when we got together on the, in the four of us, you know, we just, we, this is what we came up with and very apologetic and Gangrel, who is the greatest, nicest guy was like, I feel bad. And I said, Dave, don't feel bad. It's, it it happens. And then Kevin Thorne came up and he's like, can I talk to you? And I said, and I was mad at him because I, I'd come to learn he was the guy who had used some creative input to change things. And he thought he was going to be fired because the way Billy had talked to him. And I said, no, we're going to be fine. We're going to get past it. But like you changed the finish because essentially you didn't want to take a pin, it seemed, whether that was the case or not. And and what did come out, he wanted to try to keep everybody strong. He said it was too much star power in one match. It really wasn't. Sabu and Holly should have went over. That's not his call to make. Exactly. Exactly. So it, it, it happened and... I love Kevin. He was a great guy. I hate telling this story because people are going to get the wrong idea, but like the way Billy Gunn handled it was amazing. And the way that they, like all those guys, none of them said, who the hell is Mike Davidson to be mad? Like they all owned it. We were all doing regular business together and building something. So that, that would be the story. Kevin Thorne drove me crazy. Another time Kevin Thorne read the lineup and for some reason he thought he was turning babyface, even though he wasn't told. So he sort of started to do it at shoot turn. <laughs> and uh, I was like, Kevin, what the WTF? Like, yeah. what are you doing? And he was like, I thought it was there. And I said, if I don't tell you it's there, don't invent it. It's not there. Yeah. And, uh, and I love Kevin. Like it, it sucks to tell the story the way it is, but that's what happened. And uh, yeah, that was that. That that's the story. Uh, that's a fantastic story, and it, it kind of gives me a little more insight into Kevin Thorne because I, I, you know, I only saw him 
when he went when he when he went to New York. We'll just say that. And and the terrible terrible gimmick they kind of put him in. It wasn't a terrible gimmick. Seven or Mordecai or Mordecai. Okay, that was he was a, he was going to be a very strong character. It's no, no uh, and his commitment to not the, him. Yeah, I just creative. I just think the creative was not. Yeah, that. in in fairness to him, he owned his like when he did Kevin Thorne or, yeah. or Thorne Seven Thorne, like he. He went the distance with the, I still think Gangrel was a better vampire. Yeah. But, you know, you can't touch, Gangrel should have been iconic as a character because he did it that well. Yeah. Um, but nobody gives Kevin Thorne enough credit for the way he tried to get the gimmick over. Okay, so moving on, moving on from our questions, and, you know, you brought up vampires. You have to wonder if those fangs would help you when you're biting into a great big chicken sandwich from Mary Brown's. <laughs> you, you prick. Uh, <laughs> that was the worst, crudest throw ever, you but I love, love it. it. Yeah. I do. Um, you know, I'm going to Mary Brown's tonight because that damn Dave Patrician got me hooked. You know what it is? That guy outsmarted us. He, he sends us a, a, a gift card and he says, you know, I think you guys are doing great. And he sends us a gift card and it was great. But now I'm hooked. I'm going like once, once or twice a week. I don't want to mention how many times I'm going to Mary Brown's. It's embarrassing. But I'm going tonight. Going. Yeah. I'm going tonight. And, and you were just, what? $50 you spent in one sitting? I, I all did. for yourself? I, I, I did. I went. No, come on. You had a date there. No, 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 no date would ever be around watching me eat $50 with a chicken. And that's what happened because I was on a 48 hour fast. And I was like. Nothing better to kill a fast than $50 worth of Mary Brown's chicken. And let me tell you, it was well worth it. I had their chicken chicken strips. And here's the thing about those chicken strips. Because you buy chicken strips from a place and you bite into it. And it's like, eh, you know, it's good. This, I bit into it. It's like, this is legit chicken. It pulls apart like chicken. It tastes like chicken because it is chicken. Yeah. It's real good chicken. Hey, stop. I haven't eaten, okay? <laughs> like, uh, you're, you're making me mad well, now. Th- there's a couple more things that I oh, love. The, okay. the pickle chips. Oh, those are fantastic. The dip that goes along with them. I don't know what the dip is, but it's fabulous. You have to try. Are you going to mention everything you ate over $50? We're going to be here all night. I got to go eat. Okay. One more thing. One more yeah. thing I want. One more thing I want to mention is the taters. And I had the Nashville. You love those taters. I had the Nashville hot taters. So this is going to surprise you because you know, I'm not, I'm fairly averse to spice. Yeah. I had them. They were not overly spicy. They're fantastic. So okay. good. Okay. You're doing this on purpose. I am. I need you to stop talking about food. I'm going there now. Mary Brown's chicken. Now, let me tell you what we're going to talk about next week. I'm going to get an interview guest. Thank you so much to Scott Mason. Yes, Scott, you're awesome, man. He was awesome. He added so much to us talking about episode seven of Heels. We should try to get him back for the finale next week if he'll do it. He's very busy. Um, I want to talk next week, obviously season finale. I might have a follow-up on Tony Khan, even though I don't want to talk about mainstream wrestling. I want to answer more questions next week, and I'm sure we're going to have an interview guest, and I have a few in mind who we were going to have today, but because Scott came on and it went the way it did, but we're going to have an interview guest. I want to talk to Bobby Sharp, who's coming back from uh, major hip Hip surgery. surgery, And he's looking great. Yeah, I got something special planned for a bunch of different people. Scotty Mack's going to be coming on the show soon. Vance Nevada, we may have. Yeah, well, he's tentatively booked. I get a nickel every time I say his name. So Vance Nevada hopefully comes on the show, and I hope Vance Nevada has a lot of stories to tell, and we can talk about Vance Nevada's book and Vance Nevada's wrestling career. So I just made myself a quarter. Rob Stardom is going to be coming on the show. Tony Candelo is going to be coming on the show. Steve Stryker is going to be coming on the show. And oh. I bet you anything, Wayne Stanton's coming back for part two. I, I think Wayne Stanton's coming back. Steve Stryker, though, I don't know. 
Steve Stryker, is he a big enough guest for us? Why do you rip on Steve Stryker? I because I, I love it because he puts it over every time. Every you time. know, I said Tony Khan should have Eric Bischoff as oh, a consultant. Oh, yeah. I always considered Steve Stryker to be a consultant for any project I was ever in. I don't think enough promoters call Steve Stryker just to spitball and get ideas. He's a very, very intelligent guy. He, he is, and and he will he will not sugarcoat it. He will give you the straight. Very note. true. He, wait till he talks to you, man. Oh, like I, after the shots I'm you've lo- taken. I'm looking forward to it. All right, Glenn goes a cue him up, please. Ooh. I just have one last thing to say. Um, I can't wait for what's coming this summer, and I can't wait for the Total She's show launch party. Yeah. And it's going to keep on getting bigger and better, thanks to the listeners. We love you. Glenn Goza, R-A-S-S-L-I-N. That's wrestling. We out.